ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the salvation of the lost and the revival of God's people. I'm Alan Mashburn, your Bible teacher and the pastor of Asbury Baptist Church, located at 218 Asbury Church Road in Seagrove, North Carolina. We invite you to visit our church at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. On Sunday evenings, we provide online services which can be viewed on gospeldynamite.org. Now please join me in the study of the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Today we focus on the Antichrist. There has been much, much talk about the Antichrist with everything going on in the world, in the Middle East, and there's been some misconceptions, and we dare not establish a standard that we think we know it all. Uh, we are all students of the Word of God. However, after 30-plus years of studying Bible prophecy, we feel like we have something to add. And today we want to look at the Antichrist in his person, his work, we're not seeking to try to identify him anyway. No one knows. God knows. God knows exactly who he is. And so uh, that's not our purpose here. We will seek to understand his character and how he will be. To do that, I want to call our attention to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. The Bible says, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Now, in this passage, he's called that uh, wicked one. We can also label him as the lawless one, as what Paul is describing here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, specifically in verse 8. Again, we point out that no man, no one can name or title, uh, can fully capture uh, the character and the cunning of the coming world ruler. It was A.W. Pink who said that across the varied scenes depicted by prophecy, there falls a shadow of a figure at once commanding and ominous under many different names like the aliases of a criminal. His character and his movements are set before us. I want to give you ten different aliases, if you will, for the coming Antichrist that will begin to sketch a composite portrait of the various aspects of his character and his career. In Daniel chapter 7 and verse 8, he's called the little horn. In Daniel chapter 8 and verse 23, he's called a king. He's called uh, a king that's skilled in intrigue. Daniel 9 and verse 26, he is the prince uh, the prince who shall come. Daniel 9 and verse 27, he is the one who makes desolate. Daniel 11 verses 36 through 45, 
He's the king who does as he pleases. In Zechariah chapter 11, verses 15 through 17, he is a foolish, foolish shepherd. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3, he's called the man of destruction. And of course, what we just read, he's the wicked one, the lawless one. In 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 8. Revelation 6 and verse 2, he's the rider on the white horse. And in Revelation 13, verses 1 and 2, he's the beast out of the sea. Out of all these names that describe his character, Antichrist is the name that's most commonly associated with the final, we can call him the final world ruler. It refers both to an individual and to the system he represents. The word antichrist occurs five times in the New Testament. It appears in four verses in the epistles of John. Uh, that's 1 John 2 and verse 18, verse 22, chapter 4 of that book and verse 3 and 2 John verse 7. In 1 John 2 and verse 18, John refers to an antichrist, antichristos, uh, is singular, uh, that who is coming in the future. And also he refers to antichrist, plural, antichristoi, who is already present. Now, using the singular antichrist, of course, starkly contrast with Antichrist in the plural. John's distinction, I think, clearly denotes that the ultimate Antichrist will be a single individual. By using both the singular and the plural, I believe John indicates that the contemporary Antichrist in his day, who were false teachers, false prophets, they embodied the denying the deceiving spirit of the future, final antichrist that was to come. We could say in uh, language such as this, they were forerunners of the antichrist and were powerful evidences that his spirit was already at work in the world, as Paul points out in verse 7 of Second Thessalonians chapter 2. One thing to note and to concrete that the Bible is inspired by the Spirit of God, John looked beyond his day. Now, John, in his own mind and mental capacity, he couldn't do that. He could inflect. He could certainly imagine, but only the Spirit of God knew because God is sovereign. He's in total control. Thus, John was allowed to look beyond his own day and the many lesser antichrist uh, to the one who would be the ultimate antichrist who will culminate the manifestation of the lawless system that denies Christ and deceives men. And we would also point out that the prefix anti, anti or many people say anti, can mean against, it can mean opposed, or it can mean instead of or in place of. Now, these meanings are undoubtedly 
included in the term antichrist. He will be the arch enemy and ultimate opponent of Jesus Christ our Lord. The ultimate nature and purpose of Christ and the antichrist are diametrically opposed. The antichrist will be against Christ. The Antichrist will also be anti-Christ in the sense of in place of. He will be parody the true Christ. He will be a counterfeit Christ, a mock Christ, a pseudo-Christ, an imitation of the real thing. In John chapter 5 and verse 43, Jesus said, I've come in my Father's name. You did not receive me. If another comes in my name, ye will receive him. The one coming in his own name will be the world's final and false Messiah, the Antichrist. He will attempt to be the alter ego of the true Christ. At every point, he is the antithesis of Christ. The word Antichrist, of course, as we have mentioned, has a double significance. In primary meaning, he's one that's opposed to Christ, but in secondary meaning, he is one who is instead of Christ. Not only does Antichrist denote the antagonism of Christ, but it tells of one who is seeking to be in place of, in the stead of Christ. The word signifies another Christ, a pro-Christ, an alter Christus a pretender to the name of Christ. And he will seem to be and will set himself up as the true Christ. He will be the devil's counterfeit. As people sometimes point out, Satan never originated anything except sin. For 6,000 years, he has counterfeited the works of God and with the Antichrist, this pattern will certainly continue. He is Satan's ultimate masterpiece, the crowning counterfeit, and a false Christ, a forgery of Jesus, the true Christ, the Son of God. The Antichrist will mimic the ministry of the true Son of God in many ways. He will come performing signs and wonders, just as the Lord Jesus did. He will appear uh, in the millennial temple, the tribulational temple. He will claim himself to be God. He has a mouth as a lion. Our Lord Jesus is the lion from the tribe of Judah. And Jesus will come to make peace all over the earth. And Israel will finally be at peace. Daniel 9.27 says this man will come and he will make a peace covenant with Israel. The Lord Jesus, by his very being God, causes men to worship him. He will cause men, the Antichrist, according to Revelation 13, verses 3 and 4, he will cause men to worship Satan. Now, many people, and there's much more we could go on and, and give comparison, and we will at a later date. But many people are saying 
In fact, they're getting their theology, many times seems like, that they're getting their theology on Facebook or social media. Folks, we don't need to get our theology or our eschatology from Facebook. We need to get our face in the book and see what the Lord says. And it takes study. You can't just go and read a verse and say, I know exactly what's going to happen. No, it takes study. It takes prayerful study. And it takes years of study to see uh, what Jesus is saying, what the prophets have said, and it takes Daniel to unlock Revelation. Now, thus it leads us to the appearance of the Antichrist. The Antichrist will debut on the world stage at the beginning of the tribulation after the rapture. It all depends on how you view Revelation. If you view Revelation as a book that, as it is, for this is true, that the church, there's no mention of the church from chapter 4 on to chapter 19. Chapter 4, John says, I was called up into heaven. Chapter 4, I believe, is a picture of the rapture, John being called up into heaven. Chapter 5, you see that there is praise in heaven. Jesus takes the book that has seven seals. This book is the title deed to the earth. He begins unloosening breaking the seals of this book. You see this in chapter 6 of the book of Revelation. The first seal is chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, where you see a rider coming on a white horse, which sounds very familiar because Revelation 19 also has a rider coming on a white horse, but they are vastly different. Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, has a rider coming on a white horse, but he has a bow but no arrow, signifying he's coming not to create war, but to create diplomatic peace, diplomacy. He's going to be a great orator, according to Daniel. He's going to be a person who will know exactly what to say, and people will hang on his every word. He will be a master orator, a public speaker par excellence. He will know what to say, and people will hang on his every word. One can only imagine the chaos that the world will be experiencing with the disappearance of millions of Christians, people just disappearing, this man will have a perfect opportunity to come and help solve the chaos and the confusion that will grip the world after the rapture and the desperate cry for someone to bring things under control. He will have this perfect opportunity, and it's designed by God only to reveal to the world they won't see it until it's too late, but it will be revealed that God 
was ultimately and sovereignly always in control. It's been said great men of history, famous and infamous, are products of their times. And though we cannot exclude the sovereignty of God, it's easy to see why success or failure is sometimes born of ripe times and circumstances. The Antichrist himself will be a product of his time. A figure so sensational could come only out of sensational times. A world crisis will produce the Antichrist. This man will emerge after the rapture, uh, probably, more than likely, to calm the chaotic waters troubled by the unexplained departure of many Christians. He'll be primed, he'll be ready to speak. He will stand before not only a nation, but he'll stand before a world, and he will win their approval, he will win their competence. Like Hitler, he will emerge on a scene of such political and economic chaos that the people will see him as a man with vision, with pragmatic answers and power to unite the world. And according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, where the Bible reads, And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. The Antichrist can only be revealed when the Holy Spirit is removed at the rapture. The scripture where it says, uh, he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way, refers to the Holy Spirit working in and through the church. The fact that the restrainer must be removed before the Antichrist can be revealed tells us that Satan must wait on God's timing. So he's defeated before he ever begins his final assault on God. He can't make his move until God releases the restraining power of the Holy Spirit indwelling the church. Satan doesn't know the exact time of Christ's return or when the restraint will be removed. So he must, he must have a potential candidate for the Antichrist ready in every generation. Also, since the identity of the Antichrist cannot be revealed, cannot be known until after the rapture, no one today should spend time trying to figure out who he is or come up with possible candidates. Brother, we're not here to try to figure out the Antichrist, as fun as it may be. And I am a Bible prophecy nut. I love it. But I, it is not my job to come up with candidates as to who the Antichrist will be. It's my job as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, moreover, as a preacher of the gospel, to please the true and the real Christ and tell the world about the Christ that died for them so that they might escape coming judgment. 
all such attempts to try to label or identify this person. They're speculative. They're futile. I like to tell folks, if you ever do figure out who the Antichrist is, I've got bad news for you. You've been left behind. Now let's look at some of his attributes. Revelation 13, using the image of the beast out of the sea, describes the coming world ruler in great detail. Much of what is revealed about the Antichrist is is in Revelation 13 and also Revelation 17 builds upon and I want to say amplifies what Daniel wrote. So putting Daniel and Revelation together, we can develop a profile of this man's character and that will be very beneficial. I can say this, based upon the scripture, he'll be the most incredible world leader this per- that the world's ever seen. For 6,000 years, Satan has had full opportunity afforded him to study fallen mankind, discover their weakest points, and learn how to make man do his bidding. The devil knows full well how to dazzle people with the attraction of power. Knows how to gratify the craving for knowledge. He delights the ear with melodious music and the eye with entrancing beauty. He knows how to exalt men to dizzy heights of worldly greatness and fame and how to control that greatness so that it may be employed against God and his people. And the world will go delirious with delight at his manifestation. He will be the seeming answer to everyone's needs. He will be filled with all the fullness of Satan, handsome with a charming devil-may-care personality, a genius superbly at home, in all the scientific disciplines, brave as a lion and with an air of mystery about him to tease the imagination or to chill the blood as occasion may serve. A brilliant conversationalist in a score of tongues, languages, a very captivating orator, He will be the idol of all mankind. He will be the envy of all of his peers. While there are many attributes and activities of the Antichrist, I want to give you six of the chief identifying characteristics of the coming Antichrist. Number one, he will be a Gentile, not a Jew. Now some will... Many would disagree with me on that. I used to be a proponent that this man would be a Jew, and my reasoning behind that was he would have to be a Jew for the Jewish people to even consider him and listen to him and to follow him, to trust him. Yet you cannot 
discount the great delusion that God will send on the world so that the people can believe a lie. If that's your only argument that people will not trust him because he's not a Jew, uh, that's not strong enough. This is one of the most asked and debated questions about the Antichrist, I believe, is his ethnic background. As far as the second century scholars, when they were writing about the issue, it still is of some debate today. Uh, the debate springs from how readers interpret the, the prefix anti in front of the name of Christ. On the one hand, if anti means opposed to Christ as the ruler of Gentile world power, then the Antichrist is probably a Gentile. On the other hand, if anti means in place of Christ, as in false messiah, then many contend that this makes it more likely that he'd be a Jew. So let's consider the case made for a Jewish Antichrist. The consistent view of the church during the closing decades of the second century was that the Antichrist would be a Jewish false messiah from the tribe of Dan. A church father, we could call him, of the early church, Irenaeus. He held that view. He based his conclusion on Jeremiah 8 and verse 16 and the fact that Revelation 7 verses 4 through 8 omits the tribe of Dan from the list of the tribes of Israel. Now, some also appeal to Jacob's prophecy concerning Dan in Genesis 49, verse 17, where Dan is called, he's said to be a serpent in the way, a horned snake. The serpent there is interpreted as Satan and is then related to what Revelation 13 says about the Antichrist. Another church early church writer, Jerome, also held that view. The other specific scripture that is most often used to substantiate the Jewish heritage of the Antichrist is the King James Version of Daniel 11, verse 37, which says, Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers. Now those who maintain that the Antichrist is a Jew believe that his rejection of the God of his fathers proves that he will be a Jew. The entire argument rests on that phrase, the God of his fathers. Now, there's some challenges, however, to the argument that the Antichrist is Jewish. First, it's unclear why Dan is completely left out or omitted from the list of tribes in Revelation 7, 4 through 8. The best explanation I'm aware of, and that I most likely agree with, is that Dan was the first tribe to go into idolatry after the people moved into the promised land. That's Judges 18. Secondly, Daniel 11 verse 37 could equally apply to a Gentile whose parents were followers of Christ as to parents of Jewish heritage in similar fashion. In 1 John 2, 18 and 19, where the title Antichrist appears, the issue is apostasy from Christianity, not from Judaism. 
at its most basic, Daniel 11 verse 37 simply says that the Antichrist will totally reject whatever religion his ancestors practiced. Moreover, more recent Bible teachers would tell us that the term God here used in the Hebrew text is in the singular and twice in the plural. Arnold Fruchtenbaum, who is a scholar bar none and a Jew, a Jewish scholar in the Hebrew language, he agrees and he says in the whole context, Daniel eleven thirty six through 39, the term God is used a total of eight times and in the Hebrew text, six of these times it is in the singular, twice in the plural, one of which is the phrase in verse 37. The very fact that the plural form of God is used in a context where the singular is found in the majority of cases makes this a reference to heathen deities not necessarily a reference to the God of Israel. The Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, also uses the plural gods. These translations uh, certainly seem to faithfully reflect the Hebrew text. As you can see, this key verse, Daniel eleven thirty seven used by those to believe that the Antichrist is a Jew, is far from conclusive. Instead, it makes better sense that the coming Antichrist is a Gentile. I believe the Bible teaches this, and there are at least four good reasons for that conclusion. First, we would look and say Bible typology. Bible typology points to the Gentile origin of the Antichrist, the only historical person who specifically identified as a type or preview of the person, the work of the Antichrist, is Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a Syrian monarch in the 2nd century B.C. He has been aptly dubbed the Old Testament Antichrist. He provides a stink preview of what the Antichrist would be like. If the precursor to the Antichrist was a Gentile, uh, then it makes sense that the Antichrist would also be a Gentile. Secondly, I would say that the origin of the Antichrist is symbolized by the beast in Revelation 13, verse 1, where John writes, Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. The word sea there is used symbolically in the book of Revelation and the rest of Scripture, and it symbolizes the Gentile nation. That's confirmed in Revelation 17 and verse 15 where the waters represent many masses of people of every nation and language. So alternately, the word sea could also mean the abyss or the deep as referenced in chapter 11 of Revelation, verse 7 and chapter 17 and verse 8. If that's true, then the fact that he comes up out of the sea would be describing his satanic, demonic origin from the underworld. Now third, the Antichrist is presented in Scripture and he's presented as a final ruler of Gentile world power. His reign is the final 
phase of the times of the Gentiles and their rule over Israel. Luke chapter 21, verse, four, uh, verse 24. He will sit on the throne of the final world empire and raise his fist in the face of God. Having a Jew as the last world ruler over Gentile power doesn't seem likely. Finally, I would say that one of the primary activities of the Antichrist will be persecuting the Jewish people, invading Israel, and desecrating the rebuilt Jewish temple. It doesn't make sense that a Jew would be the final great persecutor of his own people. Gentiles have always led the way in persecuting the Jews. And for that reason, I believe that the Antichrist will be a Gentile. I think those are good, compelling reasons. Uh, I'm not going to argue anyone if they have a different opinion, as long as they have the data, the scriptural data to back it up. But that's coming from years of study, and that's the way I conclude it. We know that he'll mesmerize the world. He will inspire the world with his charisma. His eloquence over and over again. We have biblical passages that draw attention to his mouth speaking great words. He'll speak very great things. He'll have a perfect command and a great flow of language. His skill will not only gain attention, it will gain him much respect. According to Daniel 9.27 and confirmed in Revelation 17, verses 11 to 12, the Antichrist will emerge from relative obscurity to take the international political scene by storm. He won't attract much attention when he first enters the political arena. I believe that's one reason why the Scripture denotes in Revelation 6, verses 1 and 2, that he's going to come as a man of peace, a man of diplomacy. Daniel 7 and verse 8 characterizes him as a little horn among the ten horns in a reunited, revived, we can call it, Roman Empire. But, according to Revelation 17 and verse 13, he will quickly rise in the ranks and he will be elected by the group of ten to rule over the entire empire. He'll be the consummate unifier and diplomat. He will acquire power using the stealth of diplomacy. His platform will be peace and prosperity. Emerging with an olive branch in his hand, he will weld together opposing forces with complete ease. The dreams of the United Nations will be completely realized in his political policies. He will even temporarily solve the Middle Eastern political situation. And it may well earn him accolades such as the Nobel Peace Prize or being anointed Times Magazine's Man of the Year. Nevertheless, notwithstanding, he will bring such peace to the Middle East that the Temple Mount area, that little piece of real estate in Jerusalem, will be returned to Jewish sovereignty, according to Daniel 9.27, and he will undoubtedly be hailed as a great peacemaker. Not only a great peacemaker, the greatest peacemaker that the world's ever seen. 
we know that he will establish a one world economy. Daniel 11 verse 43 uh, denotes that and confirmed again, Revelation 13 verse 16, 17. The Antichrist will be Satan's CEO of the world's economy. He will set interest rates. He'll set prices, stock values, supply levels. Everything will be nationalized, or we might say internationalized, and placed under his personal control. With all of the chaos that's going to be created by the rapture and the collapse of the world economy, predicted in Revelation 6, verses 5 and 6, people will be more than willing to give all power over to one man. Much like the Germans turned everything over to Hitler after the runaway inflation in Weimar, uh, Germany. The world will turn to this man who seems to have all the answers. And he's going to have all the answers for the crushing problems that they're facing. And from the middle part of the tribulation until the second coming of Christ, no one will be able to buy or sell without the Antichrist's permission. That's Revelation 13, verses 16 and 17. People all over the world will be compelled to take his mark. His one world economy will be run by his sidekick, the false prophet. You can read about him in Revelation 13, verses 11 through 18. In effect, he'll rule the world. At the midpoint of the tribulation, the Antichrist mask will completely come off. He'll replace that olive branch with a sword, and he will subjugate the whole world. All the greatness of Alexander and Napoleon will pale in comparison to him. No one will be able to stand in the way of his conquest. He'll crush everything and anyone who gets in his way. He'll be the final great Caesar of the Roman Empire. And the Bible says in Revelation 13, verse 4, who is like unto the beast who is able to make war with him. He will claim to be God, according to 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 4. The Bible says in that passage, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God, setteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The Antichrist, which is Satan's prodigy, will achieve what no other religious leaders have ever achieved. He will do what neither Muhammad nor Buddha nor any pope has ever been able to do. He's going to unite the world in worship. All the religions of the world would be brought together in the worship of one man. And he will proclaim that he is God and require the world to worship him, according to this verse. And you'll see that also uh, confirmed in Revelation 13 and verse 8. Now just think. Just think about the genius, the power, and the deception it will take to pull something like this off. Religion divides so many people. Some people have very strong feelings about it, and they're easily angered and frustrated by those who disagree with them. Religion separates. But that's all going to change. 
Preparation is well underway for the acceptance of worshiping a man. The world, like never before, is looking for a great leader, a Messiah, a Savior, to solve the profound predicaments the earth faces today. The planet is well down the road toward worshiping the ultimate idol. The Antichrist will supply all of this need for the people's attention. He will be attractive, he'll be charismatic in his, in his character, in his delivery, he'll be a genius, he'll be infused by Satan, powered completely by him, demon-controlled, devil-taught, charmer of mankind. He'll have all the answers to all the horrendous problems of mankind. He'll be all things to all men. He'll be a political statesman, a social lion, a complete economic and financial wizard, certainly a gifted organizer an intellectual giant, masterful deceiver. He will be Satan's masterpiece of deception. He will be the world's false Christ. And with boundless enthusiasm, the masses of the world will follow him and readily enthrone him in their hearts as the world's Savior and God. To better envision the Antichrist, it was Harold Wilmington who provided a helpful analogy that the coming world ruler will possess the following traits. Wilmington wrote this. He said that he, the Antichrist, will have the leadership of a Washington and Lincoln. He'll have the eloquence of a Franklin Roosevelt. He'll have the charm of a Teddy Roosevelt, the charisma of a Kennedy, the popularity of an Ike, Eisenhower the political savvy had to maneuver political situations of Lyndon Johnson and the intellect of Thomas Jefferson. Oh, there's so much we could say about the Antichrist. But my friend, this is a help, hopefully, to you to help describe who and how and his character will be. Now, there are many activities given to us in the scriptures of the Antichrist. We know, according to Daniel chapter 8 and verse 17, that he will appear in the time of the end of Israel's history. We know, according to 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 3, that his manifestation will signal the beginning of the day of the Lord. We also know from the same passage his manifestation is currently being hindered by the restrainer, the Holy Spirit. We know that his rise to power will come through peace treaties, Revelation 6, 2. He'll make a covenant of peace with Israel, Daniel 9, 27. That event will signal the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. He'll later break that covenant at its midpoint of the tribulation. Now, near the middle of the tribulation, according to Revelation 13, verse 3, verse 12, and verse 14, near the middle of the tribulation, the Antichrist will be assassinated or violently killed. In Revelation 17, verse 8, he will descend into the abyss. We see from Revelation 11, verse 7, Revelation 13, and verse 3, verse 12, verse 14, and Revelation 17, and verse 8, he will be raised back to life. 
Revelation 13 lets us know that the whole world will be amazed and will follow after him. He'll be totally controlled and energized by Satan. He will assassinate three of the ten kings of the revived Roman Empire, Daniel 7, 24. The kings will give all the authority over to him, Revelation 17, 12, and 13. He will invade the land of Israel and desecrate the rebuilt temple, Daniel 9, 27, Daniel 11, 41, Matthew 24, and verse 15, and Revelation 11, verse 2. He will mercilessly pursue and persecute and kill the Jewish people. He'll set himself up as God. He'll be worshipped as God for three and a half years. His claim to deity will be accompanied by great signs and wonders. He'll speak great blasphemies against God, Revelation 13, verse 6. He'll rule over the world politically, religiously, economically for three and a half years at least. He will be promoted by a second beast who will lead the world in worship of him. Revelation 13, verses 11 through 18. He will require all to receive his mark, 666, to buy and sell. He will establish his political and economic capital in Babylon. We see that in Revelation 17. He and the ten kings will destroy Babylon, Revelation 18, verse 16. We know that Revelation 11, verse 7, he will kill the two witnesses, and he'll gather all the nations against Jerusalem. We see that as he plans to fight against God at Armageddon. He will fight against Christ when Christ returns to the earth, and he'll suffer total defeat, Revelation 19, verses 19 and 20. And then his end. He will be cast alive into the lake of fire. Revelation 19 and verse 20. In conclusion, because we do have to bring this to a close, let me give you ten identities of the Antichrist that you can pin down, you can remember, you can help identify. Not that we're looking for his identity, but it identifies character. Number one, he will not be recognized until after the rapture of believers to heaven. Number two, he will begin insignificantly and then he'll rise to world prominence as the man has all the answers for international peace. Number three, he'll be a Gentile world leader from the geographical area of the Roman Empire. Number four, he will rule over the reunited or the revived Roman Empire. Number five, he will make a seven-year peace treaty with Israel. Number six, he will be assassinated, come back to life. Number seven, he will break his treaty with Israel at the midpoint of the tribulation and invade the land. Number eight, he will sit in the temple of God, the tribulational temple on the temple mount and declare himself to be God. Number nine, he will desecrate the temple in Jerusalem by having an image of himself placed in it. And number 10, he will rule the world politically, economically, and religiously for three and one-half years. As you can see, the scripture tells us very much about the Antichrist, this final human opponent of Jesus Christ who's going to rise during the tribulation period.
Scriptural teaching about the Antichrist is not given to make us anxious, but to make us aware. So God's revealed this information to us to become not preoccupied with the Antichrist or to recklessly spend and waste time to speculate about his identity. But he's given it to us to show us where the world is headed and to assure us that he has everything under control. And our awareness of God's final victory over the Antichrist and evil reassures God's people that both the present and the future are firmly in the hands of God. God is in total control. I trust it's been a blessing to you. God bless you. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We trust it's been a blessing. Trust you'll have a great week in the Lord. Log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org, and let us know if you've accepted Christ or this message has helped you. God bless you, and we trust you have a great day in the Lord.